Book Five, Chapter Two of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hollis Hanover. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Chapter Two. How Titus marched to Jerusalem, and how he was in danger, as he was taking a view of the city of the place, also where he pitched his camp. 1. Now, as Titus was upon his march into the enemy's country, the auxiliaries that were sent by the kings marched first, having all the other auxiliaries with them, after whom followed those that were to prepare the roads and measure out the camp, then came the commander's baggage, and after that the other soldiers, who were completely armed to support them. Then came Titus himself, having with him another select body, and then came the pikemen, after whom came the horse belonging to that legion. All these came before the engines, and after these engines came the tribunes and the leaders of the cohorts with their select bodies. And after these came the ensigns with the eagle, and before these ensigns came the trumpeters belonging to them. Next to these came the main body of the army in their ranks, every rank being six deep. The servants belonging to every legion came after these, and before these last their baggage. The mercenaries came last, and those that guarded them brought up the rear. Now Titus, according to the Roman usage, went in the front of the army after a decent manner, and marched through Samaria to Gophna, a city that had been formerly taken by his father, and was then garrisoned by Roman soldiers. And when he had lodged there one night, he marched on in the morning. And when he had gone as far as a day's march, he pitched his camp at that valley which the Jews, in their own tongue, call the Valley of Thorns, near a certain village called Gabalthsoth, which signifies the hill of Saul, being distant from Jerusalem about thirty furlongs. Footnote. There being no gate on the west, and only on the west side of the court of the priests, and so no steps there, this was the only side that the seditious, under this John of Gishala, could bring their engines close to the cloisters of that court endways, though upon the floor of the court of Israel. See the scheme of that temple in the description of the temples hereto belonging. End footnote. There it was that he chose out six hundred select horsemen, and went to take a view of the city, to observe what strength it was of, and how courageous the Jews were, whether when they saw him, and before they came to a direct battle, they would be affrighted and submit. For he had been informed, what was really true, that the people who were fallen under the power of the seditious, and the robbers were greatly desirous of peace, but being too weak to rise up against the rest, they lay still. 2. Now, so long as he rode along the straight road which led to the wall of the city, nobody appeared out of the gates. But when he went out of that road, and declined toward the tower of Cephanus, and led the band of horsemen obliquely, an immense number of the Jews leaped out suddenly at the towers called the women's towers through that gate which was over against the monuments of Queen Helena, and intercepted his horse. And standing directly opposite to those that still ran along the road, 
hindered them from joining those that had declined out of it. They intercepted Titus also, with a few other. Now it was here impossible for him to go forward, because all the places had trenches dug in them from the wall to preserve the gardens round about, and were full of gardens obliquely situated, and of many hedges. And to return back to his own men, he saw it was also impossible, by reason of the multitude of the enemies that lay between them, many of whom did not so much as know that the king was in any danger, but supposed him still among them. So he perceived that his preservation must be wholly owing to his own courage, and turned his horse about, and cried out aloud to those that were about him to follow him, and ran with violence into the midst of his enemies, in order to force his way through them to his own men. And hence we may principally learn that both the success of wars and the dangers that kings are in are under the providence of God. Footnote. We may here note that Titus is here called a king and Caesar by Josephus, even while he was no more than the emperor's son and general of the Roman army, and his father Vespasian was still alive. Just as the New Testament says, Archelaus reigned, or was king, Matthew 2, 22, though he was properly no more than ethnarch, as Josephus assures us. Thus also the Jews called the Roman emperors kings, though they never took that title to themselves. We have no king but Caesar, John 19:15. Submit to the king as supreme, 1 Peter 2:13-17, which is also the language of the apostolical constitutions and elsewhere in the New Testament. Matthew 10.18, 1 Timothy 2.2, and in Josephus also, though I suspect Josephus particularly esteemed Titus as joint king with his father ever since his divine dreams that declared them both such. End footnote. For while such a number of darts were thrown at Titus, when he had neither his headpiece on nor his breastplate, for, as I told you, he went out not to fight, but to view the city. None of them touched his body, but went aside without hurting him, as if all of them missed him on purpose, and only made a noise as they passed by him. So he diverted those perpetually with his sword that came on his side, and overturned many of those that directly met him, and made his horse ride over those that were overthrown. The enemy indeed made a shout at the boldness of Caesar, and exhorted one another to rush upon him. Yet did these against whom he marched fly away, and go off from him in great numbers, while those that were in the same danger with him kept up close to him, though they were wounded both on their backs and on their sides, for they had each of them but this one hope of escaping, if they could assist Titus in opening himself away, that he might not be encompassed round by his enemies before he got away from them. Now there were two of those that were with him, but at some distance, the one of which the enemy compassed round, and slew him with their darts, and his horse also. But the other they slew as he leaped down from his horse, and carried off his horse with them. But Titus escaped with the rest, and came safe to the camp. So this success of the Jews' first attack raised their minds and gave them an ill-grounded hope, and this short inclination of fortune on their side made them very courageous for the future. 3. But now, as soon as that legion that had been at Emmaus was joined to Caesar at night, he removed thence 
when it was day, and came to a place called Seopus, from whence the city began already to be seen, and a plain view might be taken of the great temple. Accordingly this place on the north quarter of the city, and joining thereto, was a plain, and very properly named Scopus, the prospect, and was no more than seven furlongs distant from it. And here it was that Titus ordered a camp to be fortified for two legions that were to be together, but ordered another camp to be fortified at three furlongs further distance behind them for the fifth legion. For he thought that, by marching in the night, they might be tired and might deserve to be covered from the enemy, and with less fear might fortify themselves. And as these were now beginning to build, the tenth legion, who came through Jericho, was already come into place, where a certain party of armed men had formerly lain to guard that pass into the city, and had been taken before by Vespasian. These legions had orders to encamp at the distance of six furlongs from Jerusalem, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, which lies over against the city on its east side, and is parted from it by a deep valley interposed between them, which is named Cedron. Footnote. This situation of the Mount of Olives, on the east of Jerusalem, at about the distance of five or six furlongs, with the valley of Cedron interposed between that mountain and the city, are things well known both in the Old and New Testament, in Josephus elsewhere, and in all the descriptions of Palestine. End footnote. Now when hitherto the several parties in the city had been dashing one against the other perpetually, this foreign war, now suddenly come upon them after a violent manner, put the first stop to their contentions one against the other, and as the seditious now saw with astonishment the Romans pitching three several camps, they began to think of an awkward sort of concord, and said one to another, What do we hear, and what do we mean, when we suffer three fortified walls to be built to coop us in, that we shall not be able to breathe freely? while the enemy is securely building a kind of city in opposition to us, and while we sit still within our own walls and become spectators only of what they are doing, with our hands idle and our armor laid by, as if they were about somewhat that was for our good and advantage. We are, it seems, so did they all cry out, only courageous against ourselves, while the Romans are likely to gain the city without bloodshed by our sedition. Thus did they encourage one another when they were gotten together, and took their armor immediately, and ran out upon the tenth legion, and fell upon the Romans with great eagerness, and with a prodigious shout, as they were fortifying their camp. These Romans were caught in different parties, and this in order to perform their several works, and on that account had in great measure laid aside their arms, for they thought the Jews would not have ventured to make a sally upon them and had they been disposed to do so, they supposed their sedition would have distracted them. So they were put into disorder unexpectedly. When some of them left their works they were about, and immediately marched off, while many ran to their arms, but were smitten and slain before they could turn back upon the enemy. The Jews became still more and more in number, as encouraged by the good success of those that first made the attack, and while they had such good fortune, they seemed both to themselves and to the enemy, to be many more than they really were. The disorderly way of their fighting at first put the Romans also to a stand, who had been constantly used to fight skillfully in good order, and with keeping their ranks and obeying the orders that were given them. 
for which reason the Romans were caught unexpectedly and were obliged to give way to the assaults that were made upon them. Now when these Romans were overtaken and turned back upon the Jews, they put a stop to their career. Yet when they did not take care enough of themselves, through the vehemency of their pursuit, they were wounded by them. But as still more and more Jews sallied out of the city, the Romans were at length brought into confusion and put to flight, and ran away from their camp. Nay, things looked as though the entire legion would have been in danger unless Titus had been informed of the case they were in, and had sent them succors immediately. So he reproached them for their cowardice, and brought those back that were running away, and fell himself upon the Jews on their flank with those select groups that were with him, and slew a considerable number, and wounded more of them, and put them all to flight, and made them run away hastily down the valley. Now as these Jews suffered greatly in the declivity of the valley, so when they were gotten over it, they turned about and stood over against the Romans, having the valley between them, and there fought with them. Thus did they continue the fight till noon. But when it was already a little afternoon, Titus set those that came to the assistance of the Romans with him, and those that belonged to the cohorts, to prevent the Jews from making any more sallies, and then sent the rest of the legion to the upper part of the mountain to fortify their camp. 5. This march of the Romans seemed to the Jews to be a flight, and as the watchman who was placed upon the wall gave a signal by shaking his garment, there came out a fresh multitude of Jews, and that with such mighty violence that one might compare it to the running of the most terrible wild beasts. To say the truth, none of those that opposed them could sustain the fury with which they made their attacks. But, as if they had been cast out of an engine, they brake the enemy's ranks to pieces, who were put to flight, and ran away to the mountain. None but Titus himself and a few others with him being left in the midst of the acclivity. Now these others, who were his friends, despised the danger they were in, and were ashamed to leave their general, earnestly exhorting him to give way to these Jews that are fond of dying, and not to run into such dangers before those that ought to stay before him, to consider what his fortune was, and not, by supplying the place of a common soldier, to venture to turn back upon the enemy so suddenly, and this because he was general in the war and lord of the habitable earth on whose preservation the public affairs do all depend these persuasions titus seemed not so much as to hear but opposed those that ran upon him and smote them on the face and when he had forced them to go back he slew them he also fell upon great numbers as they marched down the hill and thrust them forward while those men were so amazed at his courage and his strength that they could not fly directly to the city but declined from him on both sides and pressed after those that fled up the hill yet did he still fall upon their flank and put a stop to their fury in the meantime a disorder and a terror fell upon those that were fortifying their camp at the top of the hill upon their seeing those beneath them running away insomuch that the whole legion was dispersed while they thought that the sallies of the jews upon them were plainly insupportable and that titus was himself put to flight because they took it for granted that if he had stayed the rest would never have fled for it thus were they encompassed on every side by a kind of panic fear and some dispersed themselves one way and some another, 
till certain of them saw their general in the very midst of an action, and being under great concern for him, they loudly proclaimed the danger he was in to the entire legion, and now shame made them turn back, and they reproached one another that they did worse than run away by deserting Caesar. So they used their utmost force against the Jews, and declining from the straight declivity, they drove them on heaps into the bottom of the valley. Then did the Jews turn about and fight them. But as they were themselves retiring, and now, because the Romans had the advantage of the ground and were above the Jews, they drove them all into the valley. Titus also pressed upon those that were near him, and sent the legion again to fortify their camp, while he and those that were with him before opposed the enemy, and kept them from doing further mischief, insomuch that, if I may be allowed neither to add anything out of flattery, nor to dim diminish anything out of envy, but speak the plain truth, Caesar did twice deliver that entire legion when it was in jeopardy, and gave them a quiet opportunity of fortifying their camp. End of Book 5 Chapter 2 Recording by Hollis Hanover